Welcome to another week of the Forest Brothers podcast. I am joined here by my two brothers, Ngome Zulu and Penguini the Chemist. Ngome, please say hello to our lovely audience. Oh, hello to the lovely audience out there. Hello to you, Mr. Mutsa. Hello to you, Mr. Samson Masanga. Uh, as you know, we're always back. We're always glad to be at the podcast and now ready to divulge into what happened in the past couple of weeks. I love it. I love it. I love it. Mr. Penguini, please introduce yourself and say hello to the audience. Show them some love. Uh, yeah. What's up, everyone? It's uh, great. Always great to be at the pod, like Nkosi said. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to get into all the action from last week. So let's get it. That's what I love to hear. All right, boys, we had a jam-packed last couple of weeks. Too much to discuss, but we'll get through it. First of all, we'll have to talk about the mammoth game of the past weekend, City versus Tottenham. Of course, my boys came on top, did us proud there at White Hart Lane. Uh, you know, they did the things. Very happy about it. Pep looked like he was sweating. I'm sure he had nightmares all day. Couldn't get cane out of his head. Maybe he had to eat some sugar cane. Maybe that would have helped him, but who knows? Jumping off of that, I have to ask, do you think Pep regrets not spending the extra 30 mil on cane? You know, should have spent the money on cane first and not Grealish? Or what do you, what, what, what do you think about that? Do we think that, you know, Kane was paying back for not being chosen by City. And he came in that game with some extra vigor to shoot Pep down. Ngome Zulu, I can see you frothing at the mouth. What do you think? Thank you. I'm definitely not frothing at the mouth. I'm just willing. I'm just ready to answer the question, Mr. Mota. So that question, I'd say it could go one of two ways. In that, I'd say yes, he does regret not spending that extra 30 mil, whatever amount it was, to actually get Harry Kane. Because you saw the performance he put in. He could have actually walked away with the hat trick in that game. That's how that he looked to his prominent best, the Harry Kane we knew, the Harry Kane that actually was at the pinnacle, that was demanding something close to 150 mil transfer. So he was just there to prove a point that this is what you've missed out on, this is what you could have had. And then also it was just another factor and like just pushing the narrative that with Erling Haaland coming onto the market in the next couple of months, um, he's just, just sending them a reminder that don't forget about me. I'm still here. I can still produce if you think I can do something. Because you look at his performance, his passing, his play, his hold-up play, the vision, how clinical he was, off-the-ball movement, all the things that he did showcased why Man City moved, tried to move heaven and earth last year to try and bring him into their club. So it was quite a big one for the man, Harry Kane, and I'm proud of him. Hopefully this is a sign of greater things to come where he can actually now go forward and actually start delivering for the club because Spurs, you know, just a, a shadow of their former selves. So do you think that um, him scoring and the performance he put in against City was him finally laying his demons to rest, you know, from the summer. Like this is him, him doing this is his way of saying, okay, it's done. And now we're going to see the best of Harry Kane moving forward because he's basically, maybe it's his revenge or I don't know. I guess City, I mean, City didn't really do anything wrong. It was more about Tottenham not wanting to let him go, putting that press tag on him. But I don't know. Do you think this has, this will have an effect on Kane moving forward? 
It's hard to tell with EPL players because they do their own thing, honestly, man. If you look at them, the ones that play, they really do do their own thing. So it's a bit of a challenge to know if this is really him. This is what the form he'll be producing going forward or return to the old the person that he's been this season, uh, not scoring as often and just struggling for form. Uh, I think it's a bit of a challenge there, but who knows with Harry Kane. One week you can see him perform well. The next, when you play Burnley, for example, he'll just, he'll just be a shadow of his former self and you wouldn't know what to expect. It's, it's very tricky because of the way also like Antonio sets up the system, you know, man. I don't know. So, Penguini, as our resident Arsenal fan, does it scare you? The things, what you saw against that, you know, in that Tottenham City game as an Arsenal fan, given the fact that Tottenham are, you know, how many points? Three points away from Arsenal, you know, just a game before. Do you think Tottenham catching speed like this is a scary turn for Arsenal fans? Or is it not? I'm just trying to get this straight, right? So you want me to be scared of a guy who the last time he played Arsenal was uh, filling in at centre-back and <laughs> throwing slide tackles at Bukayo Saka. Yeah, I, I'm not afraid of Hurricane. Um, not this season. Um, I'm not afraid of Tottenham this season. I don't think anyone should be afraid of Tottenham this season. I think what happened was Tottenham finally have or Conte finally has a squad that he likes, players that he likes, players that he can use offensively. You know, you saw um, Kulusevski make his, his first start. The attacking players Tottenham have had have been in and out of the team. You guys actually let go of Ndombele and Lo Celso in the January window. So there's been a lot of shuffling, and I'm sure that's contributed to Harry Kane's form, just the inconsistency of players behind him and him not being able to do exactly or play exactly the way he wants to play each game, you know, because the personnel is, di is different. He's being asked to do different things each game. Maybe that changes now and you get a more consistent lineup and more consistent performances. But for Tottenham, the issue will always, will continue to be defense. Again, in that Man City game, if it wasn't for Harry Kane's brilliance, I don't see them winning that game. We can talk about Harry Kane's form picking up and Tottenham scoring goals, but last I checked, when they played Arsenal, we gave them three and a half. Nothing much has changed with their defense, so even if we face them again, I mean, when we face them again, I expect us to give them three and a half again. Because not much, I haven't seen much that has changed there. But yeah, I do think they're moving in the right direction. I'd have to see them put together like one or two more results before I consider them actual challenges for a top four place. Yeah, even as a Spurs supporter, I'm not too confident in a top four position. Maybe five, but top four will be a bit ambitious. But can we all agree, though, that Harry Kane is probably the second or third best passer in the Premier League? Or you can even go to as far as saying as a forward, as striker, he is the best passer. Is there any striker in the Premier League that you think has better pass accuracy or vision as Harry Kane? Because I don't think so. I think it's Kane all the way. I think you can certainly make the argument, but I would also say that Bobby Firmino, you know, he does a lot of passing in Liverpool games. He does a lot of link-up play. And while he doesn't make the final pass or the final assist, because that usually falls on either one of the midfielders or 
either fullback. You know, his passing game is pretty good. Um, I'd also say, I know Kai Havertz isn't necessarily a striker, but he, I mean, in my opinion, Kai Havertz is a striker. You know, I think Chelsea are just fooling around and they're kidding themselves with this Lukaku business. At some point, you're going to have to put Kai Havertz up there and just make it work because I think that's his, that's his best position, like as a, as a false nine. Given that he did lead the league in assists last season, sure, I'd say Harry Kane is a good shot for the best passer as a forward in the league. You know, with Harry Kane, you could make the argument, as Samson said, but then you also do have to consider other players from other teams. As you mentioned, Kai Havertz, quite a passer. Like, he can link up the play. Firmino, as you mentioned, does get assists. So, that actually, funny enough, like, I think there was a season where his assists to goals rivaled each other. So that just does tell you that even though he doesn't, he doesn't score as much, he does get a quite a number of assists. What do assists need? A lot of like thinking and vision and like an exquisite passing. And I think he has that. But taking nothing away from Harry Kane, this weekend he did display some great passing as I think you want to hear Muta. And... He pretty much just did everything that a striker, it was pretty much like a complete forwards play this past weekend. You know, not to, not to rub salt on an open wound, Nkosi, but since I have you on the floor, you know, looking at Harry Kane as a best passer and looking at the performance he put in this past weekend, and then we go over to Stamford Bridge where we have your mandem there, Lukaku, who only touched the ball seven times the entire game against Crystal Palace. How did you feel about that? How do you feel about Lukaku right now? Do you think there's any hope for the man or should he, should he leave Chelsea? Like, is there anything for him there or is it done? There's always hope, man. Like, you've seen players come back from far worse, like, honestly. Like, if we're now going to push the narrative that man like Big Rom is done, I think we need to reevaluate our knowledge on soccer, like, honestly, because... What he's essentially doing right now is that maybe it could be jet lag. It could be uh, form because strikers live off of form. You do need to think about that. So it's a bit of a, a 50-50 there. You wouldn't know. But in all honesty, like I see him having a big future at the club. It's just about finding the best system for him and then fitting him into the the team and go, going forward. Because honestly, like... Who knows with this player? Like, this is a man that has scored goals for Inter Milan and contributed to them winning the league title last year under Antonio Conte. He needs a manager who will give him the love and show him that, tell him that he's one of the best. And, like, those kind of things do actually go a long way in a player's confidence. Okay, but then I have to ask, do you think Tuchel is the right coach for Lukaku? Do you think Tuchel cares enough? to see Big Rom actually do well and prosper at Chelsea? Uh, yes, of course. You don't spend $100 million on a player. I don't think a manager will sanction a $100 million sale if he doesn't want that player. Because $100 million is not some... It's not pocket change, like some $20 million signing. It is $100 million. Pounds. You spend your entire transfer budget on that player. So that should tell you something that the coach saw something when they were trying to bring him to the club. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I get it, but we've also seen record signings of strikers and they flopped. So, and you know, the, the, the manager didn't take care of them. We can, you know, 
we can name names, but maybe we don't have to go down that rabbit hole. But I don't know. Just because a striker or a player is expensive does not necessarily mean that a manager will take care of them. Because maybe Tuko was, you know, just impressed by Lukaku's previous form in Italy. And he thought that would translate to the EPL. And because that hasn't happened, he's like, you know what, this guy, I thought he was something else, but he sold me a dream and now he's not living up to the hype. But um, I guess that's a good segue to also look at Burnley because they made a good purchase during the January transfer window in some German machinery that they put up there in the front. And it seems to be working quite well. Is it not German? Where's Wogos from? But anyway, he played in Germany. I don't know where he's actually from. Maybe I just fumbled the bag there. But anyway, the point is he played in Germany and he did well. And he's out there playing for Burnley now. And it actually looks like he's doing quite well. So the question for you boys, and I, I'll, I'll post this to Samson. Looking at Burnley and looking at where they are in the Premier League right now, do you think that they have a chance of survival? They've played 22 games. They have at least four games in hand. You know, they made some good signings over January window. Is that enough? Or was that just preparing for the championship? You have to look at their competition, I think. So Burnley, I I won't even look at Norwich because I think Norwich are done. But Burnley are joint bottom. They have 17 points, but they have four games in hand. The teams that have played the most games have played 26 games. So Burnley have played 22. Burnley need to beat or need to climb over Watford and either one of Newcastle, Everton, Leeds or Brentford. I can see them climbing over Watford very easily because Watford also have been up and down this season. I don't think they will stay up. I just don't think they have enough, especially defensively. They're very poor and the midfield is also lacking. Newcastle are, did the same thing Burnley did, but on a much larger scale. You know, they, they spent a, a crazy amount of money and they look like they're going to stay up. You know, they won three games in a row and they've looked very solid recently. Everton are shaky, but their squad is way better than Burnley's. Like, way better. I think if you look at wage bills, you know, they're probably spending twice the amount Burnley is spending or even more. Leeds have crazy injuries, you know. Big players are missing. Bamford is out again. You have Calvin Phillips out. I think they have a center back out. They will probably be one who can be caught Brentford haven't won a game since December 10th. So there are teams that Burnley can catch, but they have to be more consistent with their performances. They just won this past weekend, but they're going to have to put in that kind of performance, you know, at least three, I'd say actually four or five times before the end of the season. And because I think, yeah, if they get five wins, five to six wins, that might help them secure survival and you know i'd say five six wins and a couple draws but it's going to be tough Burgos himself isn't going to get them there they're going to have to you know defend really well and hope for some luck because yeah they're in a real dogfight right now so i just had a brief thought in Leeds' situation right now considering the fact that they do have injuries do you think this was the best time for Leeds to have injuries because then if some of their players let's say i don't know i don't know how long bamford is out for but if in the last five games, those players that were injured come back into the squad and they just fight, like, you know, until that very, you know, tooth and nail type of, like, do you think that would be enough 
or from the way things are going, even with how teams are doing, I don't know. Do you think, I don't know if it's enough or not, but I was just thinking like, it's just, it's just, it's just a thought that popped in my head. Like these teams that are suffering injuries at some point, these players will come back and that could, that could be a positive for them. You know, if they can survive this bad time, maybe they'll make it at the end. Who knows? But I do know that it'll be an interesting um, relegation battle. But looking at Burnley, um, they they do have, you know, some interesting games. It's, it doesn't like look like it's too bad for them towards the end there. Looking at the, they have, you know, Crystal Palace and Leicester coming in, you know, a double game week in Gaming 27. Then they played Chelsea, which I'm sure they'll get uh, demolished there. And then they face Brentford and Southampton. And, you know, maybe... So I, I, they have little pockets where if they, and they have Norwich as well that they still have to play, and then Watford, and then Newcastle. So I guess if they win those games against other bottom feeders, actually, they could make it. I mean, I don't know. Samson, Nkosi, feel free to jump in there. But I don't know. I mean, it's interesting what Burnley's doing right now. Yeah, they do have some simple games, starting with the uh, Spurs one. Uh, very easy game. <laughs> In my opinion, honestly, like I think, I think, I think that one uh, is a sure win for them. Woodveig <laughs> host against Spurs' defense. I know Romero's back. They played well this weekend, but uh, yeah, that's one where I think I think they'll pull they'll pull the the rock under Spurs tomorrow. Uh, that's a very bold statement, but I think there'll be a shock there. Just watch out. Um, the other games, as Mutsa said, April, uh, sorry, March, there will be some interesting games there, here and there. I think they'll win a couple, uh, catch back uh, the other teams in terms of like games played, and then we'll have a, a more holistic point of view on where they currently are. So I think, yeah, I think they'll be fine, but I think I, I, think I said it a couple of weeks back, even if you have games in hand, that's not points in hand. Uh, in all honesty, and watching them play the game against Brighton, they were not that convincing. They won the game because Brighton were also just there on a little holiday because they have nothing to play for. They're mid-table. They say if they can't go to top four, so they have nothing to play for. So I'd say that one was a walk in the park for them. But honestly, I think, as I said previously, Burnley, gone. Watford, see you next time. Norwich, have a good life. I get it, you know? I get it. But, you know, talking about the the, the, the bottom feeders, I mean, Samson mentioned this a bit, but Brentford, you know, they came with so much energy and vigor in the very beginning. A lot of hype around Ivan Tony. Obviously, things have not gone so well for them. As, you know, mentioned before, they've not won a game since December 10th. What's going on? Samson, do you, do, what do you think about Brentford? Is, and do you think they are... Premier League material, or do they need another season there, down there, the championship? Or do you think they'll pick up at some point in time? Are they good enough? Or will they be taken out by Burnley, for example? Well, this is where survival in the Premier League, it's why you had managers like Big Sam and uh, Tony Pulis, who were renowned for what the work they did because it really was impressive, you know, staying up year after year. Because losing is hard. You know, it's, it's hard to lose five, six games in a row or go without scoring 10 games in a row. 
But when you are a team that's just been promoted, that's something that could happen. You know, it's because what the fans normally don't think about is that the golf in quality, all you have to do is look at the, the wage bills. Seriously, just go look at the wage bills of the top 10 teams or the top 12 teams and the rest. There's a huge gap. And that's often reflected in the squads, you know, and, and, like, and like the talent gaps. So when you see teams like Brentford struggling, it's, you know, it's, it's inevitable. And that's when you either need a relegation specialist type of manager like Allardyce, or you need, you know, like a, a manager with a strong philosophy, you know, a strong system, like, you know, Espirito Santo had with Wolves, or um, I would forget the guy was at Newcastle had with Burnmouth a few years ago. You know, you need something that you can fall back on that will grind you some results. Brentford haven't had anything like that because, you know, they, last season and the championship, they were an expansive team on the front for each game. They're used to winning. They come to the Premier League, they change their style. They're now a defensive, hardworking team. And they start losing. You know, these players, we think of Brentford as a team that is fighting for relegation. Brentford players think of themselves as winning players. They think of themselves as guys who were fighting for the league title in the championship last year. You know, they're used to winning. So psychologically, when, you know, you haven't won since December 10th, like, what, like what, do you, <laughs> what do you want from these guys? These guys are going out there and they, you know, they don't understand why they're losing. You know, they don't get it. There's such a huge gap between them and everyone else in the league that you, ca- you need something to bridge that gap. And right now they haven't found it yet. Maybe, I, I don't know if they made any signings in the, I don't think they did. I think they signed Ericsson maybe, and maybe someone else, but may hopefully that helps or, you know, the coach comes up with some inventive tactics that win them a few, a few games, a few points. Cause that's all it's going to take, you know, a few draws, one or two wins where they're at, and they stay up. And if they can get through this season and just start again, I think you will see a much more positive Brentford moving forward. Because it's just about stopping the losses and stopping the bleeding. Because uh, And if, if, if they don't stop, they're going down. It's, it's that simple. Um, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully they can figure it out. Yeah, the fact that you mention the boys out from West London, because Brentford are in West London, it just raises another interesting team to me that is also amongst the the bottom there, the uh, the top of the bottom there at the bottom. Uh, they they are the only little title race, as Muta said, that they're trying to work through. So, you know, just watching my boys there in Norwich, I try to follow them from time to time because I do watch my boy Billy Gilmore there from time to time to see how he's progressing. And if he has a future back at the bridge next year. And part of me, when I was watching that game uh, this past weekend, realized that there could be a shock on there because Liverpool weren't playing at their fluid best and just just weren't clicking, you know. Uh, maybe after they scored, I thought they could actually do something there in that game. But honestly, uh, it didn't prevail and... Mo Salah, as he always does, whether he's at AFCON or wherever, he just kept on scoring and Liverpool came back. The gap is, what, six points with the game in hand for Liverpool? 
the question I'd have for the team is, does Liverpool have enough steam to overtake the citizens? You know, I would hope not. I think City still got it. I think Pep is just not going to let go of the Premier League title since it's so close. But hey, 12, at some point, they were 12 or 13 points ahead, and now it's down back to six. I do wonder if City have loosened the grip on the on the gas a little bit. You know, maybe they, I don't know if they've gotten a little bit too comfortable or the players are getting a bit too tired from all the games that they've been playing. Um, obviously, Spurs have the formula against Man City, so we can't be too, can't be too shocked about that one. I do think it has made things a bit hot now. I think maybe Pep is doing this on purpose. I think he was getting bored. I think he just wanted Liverpool to catch up a little bit so he can, you know, put a little bit more energy in his step so he can he can <laughs> make the terrorists a little bit more interesting because it was becoming a bit of a snorefest up there. But yeah, I don't think that Liverpool... But you know, them buying Lewis, Luis was definitely a good move, especially given the fact that Jota is now injured uh, and we don't know how long he's out for. So I think it does give them that extra bit of protection. And I can, I can foresee a partnership between Mane, Salah, and Luis being quite dangerous. And so maybe that's the extra little firepower that they needed to get over the top. So yeah, that's, that's my own opinion. But yeah, at the end of the day, I don't think they'll make it. Because what do you think about that? I couldn't, I couldn't be bothered. It's just Liverpool. Nothing, nothing too out of the ordinary there. I just had a follow-up question in terms of like, if the front five are all fit, who plays and who sits out based on the fact that you just mentioned Diaz, Mane, and Salah, and those three are all wide forward slash wingers. Would you play a front three of just wingers slash wide forwards? Or do you incorporate Firmino? Do you incorporate Diaz? Are you planning on selling Salah or Mane given that you signed Diaz? Because there used to be the talk of the Fab Four of them playing Diego Jota last day as well. So given that they have that have all five, when they're all fully fit, who plays and who sets up? Bobby. Bobby's gonna be in on the bench. I think I don't think Bobby's gonna be in there. That's that's gonna be the first casualty. Most likely Jota and Luis will interchange. I, I never see because I think from what I've heard, Luis came in to be competition for Mane. From the news that I've read out there, you know, just just to give Mane a little bit more pressure, because you know you can't replace Salah. Salah is arguably the best player in the Premier League right now. I think his position is secure. But when the all five are fully fit, Bobby sitting on the bench, but then Jota and Mane will probably. I mean, Jota and Luis will probably like change up a little bit and that's that's my own opinion Samson what do you think about that when Jota plays the front three isn't as fluid as when Firmino plays because he he doesn't drop into space and link up play the way Firmino does but he scores a lot more goals and then you have Diaz who doesn't play in the middle he plays out on the left so I think he's not gonna I don't think he's gonna start I think he's basically replacing Shakiri which is sad, replacing a bench player. I actually think it's still going to be the same front three that we've all come to know because I haven't seen Klopp put too much faith into Jota because, you know, even 
I mean, I guess when 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 Mane and Salah were gone for for Afghan, he played a, a much more regularly. But early in the season, whenever he he got a run of games together, he played two or three. Then he'd be taken out, and Firmino would be back in there. And it all and it all seemed like Firmino was always just you know the guy that Klopp, even if he wasn't playing particularly well, he'd always just there have been stretches you know throughout the season where Jota has had two games in a row he scores and then the third game is on the bench or with three games he scores and then the fourth game is on the bench and it's like you know that never happens to Mane or Salah but Jota is kind of like you expect it with him so I think that will be the front three and then Jota and Diaz will just be competing for replacing whoever's hurt or tired or whatever you know plus they're also competing for the Champions League so I'm sure there'll be rotation and stuff Looking at it, just to close out the segment on Liverpool, you know when teams sign a player, they're signing this player because they say that this player can add X number of points to our team uh, in, our cha- in our challenge for a title for top four to stay in the division to move into the top half. Signing Luis Diaz, how many points do you essentially think he would actually win for Liverpool in this stretch with this supposed title race on. This is where I I understand why they signed him, but I also kind of don't understand it because you can see there's there's always been this talk about Liverpool needing another another forward or another, and it always comes after games where they fail to score, like they've been held to a draw or they lose very narrowly. One of the pundits would say, oh, it's because Mane and Salah, their workload is too high. Or maybe Bobby Firmino isn't, isn't delivering. Um, last season, or last couple of seasons, Shakiri was the scapegoat. He wasn't delivering. Or Rigi, when, when he was brought on, he wasn't delivering. So there's always been this idea that Liverpool need another guy who can help them come off the bench and produce. I don't think that's the solution because I think... If the so if the problem is your initial eleven isn't getting the job done, simply replacing someone of that eleven, I don't think is going to get the job done because you're still working with the exact same system that you had before. So I don't know how many you know points Diaz is gonna because I don't think he's that much better than their best front three. I don't think he's better than Mane. I don't think he's better than Salah. I think he's probably better than Firmino, but they don't play the same position and. Jota right now is in much better form than Diaz and he can play all three positions. So I don't know how many points that adds unless they're trying to play a front four, you know, with Diaz in behind or Jota in behind, you know, Firmino in behind uh, a striker. Maybe, you know, because we've seen Klopp experiment with Salah up top, um, Jota up top and, you know, a few different variations. So maybe that's the idea. They would concede a lot more goals for sure, but they might score a bit more. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to say. I don't know what problem they were trying to solve by signing Diaz. I think it was mostly just a panic buy, in my opinion. Yeah, you know what? I think maybe just quickly, I think they also just signed Diaz because Salah and Mane were there playing Afcon, gone the whole of January. And I think it was more just a contingency plan in case one of them got injured throughout the competition or like one of them needed a break or whatever it was. And I think they just wanted that extra cushion. But... You know, those two, those two brothers work very hard. And, you know, so I don't think, so I mean, I, I mean, I guess it's nice just to have that extra bit of comfort knowing that they do have another star player on that bench if they need it, you know, 
because look, Jordan, Jordan's injured now, and he was. I think Jordan was even having. I think I saw. I heard someone say that Jordan is even having better attacking stats than Salah currently, um, in terms of like the games he plays and the goals he scores. So Jordan was actually really on point this season, but now he's out for a little bit. So I guess for the reasons why they got Luis, it's, it's work is paying off. So yeah, I mean <laughs> that's what I think about that. But you know, there were other big games that happened there in Manchester. Um, as we look at Leeds and Man United, quite a I don't know, Man United. You know, I'm always happy when they win. You know, since 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 I'm a former United fan, it's it's always good to see the boys win some games. But yeah, you know, but this this really leads us to think about Leeds. They are not doing great at the moment. It's not going well. And I think we we mentioned this a bit before, but we would hope that they stay up. But right now they've had a lot of injuries and we do hope that they can, they can make it out. Uh, and you know, maybe this is the rise of United. Cause I still, I, I was saying before, I know the boys have, we've, and I've said this before, but I do think that my United still have a decent chance at ending above Chelsea. But also I'm starting to think that that uh, that's probably ludicrous of me to say, because the boys keep disappointing me. They're not showing me any confidence in, in, in doing so, but for those people that still had Bruno Fernandes in their FPL teams, they were very happy. Goal and assist, uh, which is a good segue into our fantasy teams, boys, and fantasy in general. And also double game week. How are we feeling about that? How are we feeling about this double game week? And how are we feeling about the blank in game week 27? I see that, you know, we had, we had some similar players here and there, but, you know, slight differences as well. Hoping that the next games that are coming will, will will give us more points, but yeah, I'm quite excited to hear about this. Yeah, what what what's 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 the consensus or what's the what's the thoughts, the feelings towards fantasy Premier League right now? I think with FPL, this is where people are going to get most of their points. These double game weeks, because you look at a team like Burnley uh, right now, they're good. They're a good bet for. A good number of points. They do have some good options out there. The guy that plays right back, Roberts, he he could get some good clean sheet points there. Uh, as well as Nick Pope, he's been in top form. Uh, they do have double double game weeks for twenty seven, and I think going forward, just as they catch up on their missing game, so Burnley could be a team to look out for for players as well as Woodveckhorst. I think he's priced at six point five or six point six. That's a good mid-price forward to look at for like a couple of players but in terms of my team and how it's looking it's looking all right nothing special but it's all it's, a, it's all part of a bigger plan you know yeah like you said you know double game weeks are a huge opportunity um yeah i think so i would say i am not so i wasn't so interested in this double game week because i, I had a feeling there'd be others and i wasn't sure if um I'm yet to play my triple captain or my bench boost. But I think double game weeks, if you can get a double game week and paired with like a triple captain or paired with like a bench boost, you know, then you're really swimming at the points. I'm looking forward to upcoming double game weeks where the fixtures are a bit more favorable and there isn't any conflict with Champions League. So you don't have managers resting players. Because, you know, it, when, you, when you do a double game week, you don't want to bet on the small teams. I've I've learned my lesson with that. You want to bet on the big teams, you know. You want to bet on guys who you know are going to deliver. So Liverpool was a great choice for this week's double game week. If you had more Salah in there, 
you know, you were rolling in points. Other teams that will have double game weeks, you know, um, I'm not sure. I think Spurs might have a double game week coming up. And maybe, you know, Harry Kane, um, people can put him in there. It's definitely a great time. Great time to get to get some points and just like make sure your options line up pretty well, you know, with the bench boost and stuff like that. And you can really take home some points. Looking at the uh, FDR chart here, it looks like a good team that's worth a shout is Norwich. They have Southampton next, Brentford, and Leeds. Is that enough to convince you to have a, a forward Matt Norwich player like Timo Puki in your attacking? Is he is it worth the shout, Mangoro? You think, given the the three games that they're about to play? Yes, he's a good enabler in that he's a good player because I think he's priced around the six million mark in terms of like you can have him and just put him on the bench because whether he's playing or he's not playing and he has those good fixtures, I don't see him getting a good return as compared to Vudveghorst, which I mentioned. Rob Jimenez is picking up form. So for Norwich, no, I would not I would not be looking at Norwich players. Stick away, stay away from Norwich players. I don't think they'll get you great returns. Maybe they'll get you in those game weeks. They'll probably a, a Norwich striker will score one goal and there'll be like eight or nine points that week, but the other two weeks, pretty much nothing. So Norwich, no. Another team to consider, uh, they don't score a lot of goals are Wolves. Defensive players at Wolves such as uh, Sice, who's very good from set pieces, uh, as well as Cody and Max Kilman, nice, uh, nicely priced. Jose Saw, uh, I think top five clean sheets in the league. So he could be a good keeper to look, look at there. He can get you quite a number of points. But all in all, man, like you need to sit down and think long-term about your team when you're putting it together now and not think about the next game week and start thinking about when the big next double game will come, if you're thinking about playing either your bench boost, triple captain, free hit, whatever you have, you know. I think another worthy team as well to look at, talking about what you're saying, Mongoro, there about, you know, the long-term view of when things are happening is Southampton. Southampton has actually got a really great run of games coming up as they face Norwich. And then they have a double game week with Aston Villa and Newcastle. And they'll go to Watford, Burnley, Leeds. And then the first Chelsea in the beginning of April. So they have pretty much an easy run of games until then. Does that mean players like Shea Adams, Ward Prowse, uh, you know, do, do, do they become a bit more lucrative to the fantasy Premier League player given that run of games? Or is there not enough juice given, you know, given past performances? I'd say there's juice there in that they're good players there in Southampton. Definitely not Che Adams or Wood Prowse. He will hit a free kick, probably one of those games and score. But for him, uh, a box-to-box midfielder, I don't think he'll get you as many points as you want because you're trying to get points here and not just put players by position. So players like Livramento, priced less than 5 million, I think that's good value for money. Uh, and he just returned now, so I think it's really fit. I think he got a lot, an assist in the last game against Everton. So... Plus a clean sheet. So that's pretty good. Mando Broja, people are sleeping on him. You put him in your team, forget about him. A nice striker, priced less than 6 million, scores goals. That would be another player to look at. I think those are the two that I'll be tracking going forward to 
put into my team. Oh, Samson, like Arsenal have been on top form these past couple of days. Like which Arsenal assets are you looking at actually putting in your team going forward? Well, I've had Ramsdale for the longest time. I was disappointed with uh, with him last last game. I thought he was going to keep a clean sheet, but I guess that's not totally on him. So Ramsdale's been good. I wouldn't go for too many Arsenal's defenders. Maybe Tomoyasu when there's a decent run going on. He's um, one of the ones who consistently performs very well. Uh, midfielders, I mean, Saka's the obvious one. You know, he, I mean, if you just watch him play, you know, you can tell that guy gets points. Goals, assists. Emil Smith-Rowe might be worth a shout for now because Martinelli, um, I think he's currently serving a suspension. Um, he's yet to be back. I wouldn't, you know, personally, I wouldn't bet on Lacazette because he's just so expensive. Um, and you usually get this with players who've been in the league for a while. And playing for, you know, a, a top team. They just get priced ridiculously, even though they're not producing the at the, at the levels you'd expect. So, yeah, I'd say Saka, Smith-Rowe, maybe Tomayasu, and definitely Ramsdale. But I would shy from the defensive players when there's a tough run coming. Yeah, I mean, out of out of kind of state clear. I mean, Saka is definitely a good player, and I, I, I definitely got him this time around. But it doesn't look like Arsenal have too much of a good run coming. But in terms of the top four teams right now, it does look like Chelsea has the best run of games after the blank in Game Week 27. So as a final, you know, taunt at you or jab, Mangoro, I just, I, 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 it begs me to wonder, do you think that given the run of games that are coming for Chelsea starting in game week 28, they, it's just green for like seven. It's just a field of green. Do you, do you think Chelsea right now, if they win those games or, you know, do you think that's enough for them to secure a top two finish? Or can they win the thing? If they win those green games, what, what, what's your thought feeling about the green pastures? I would say, as I've been telling people, what, the frustrating part for me as a Chelsea supporter is that even when people thought that we were out of the title race, I th- there was a part of me I was like, they're still in this because it was just about navigating those challenging games around Liverpool and Man City and Spurs. And I felt like if we, for example, had beaten a couple of teams, Burnley, Brighton twice because we drew against them, those six points could have elevated us to be probably be around a four-point gap behind Man City, plus those greens. I think that would have taken us very far. But all in all honesty, man, I think I think in terms of winning it. Uh, maybe we might fall short because we're not playing at our best now. I think traveling did affect us going to the Club World Cup and coming back. The players, I think, are still struggling with jet lag and things like that. They haven't been at their full best. Two players got injured tonight, Ziyech and Kovacic. Hopefully that's not that bad. And they have a cup final coming up this weekend, a high-intensity game against Liverpool. So, yeah, I think it will be really tough to actually see who we can actually put together there in terms of like results and also looking at those fixtures. They look good on paper. The EPL it may look good on paper. It's never really the case. 
<laughs> you know what? Very, very true. A very diplomatic answer there from the man himself, Mr. Mongoro. Even though I know deep in his heart, he's really hoping that Chelsea take the Premier League, sweep it under the rug from City. But that is the hope of any football player. Even I'm thinking to myself that Tottenham will win the league, but obviously I am quite delusional. So I, I don't see that happening. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think that, that that's a good way to end the part before I start talking some more, some more nonsense here and um stoned in the street for my deterioration. But, um, you know, thank you boys for engaging with me today, engaging with the audience. Listener, I hope you took some nuggets of wisdom from the pod today. We discussed a range of topics and I think that, you know, I think there's enough to chew on there, a lot to bite, a lot to, a lot to digest. So please digest it, the happy heart. <laughs> um, but, before, you know, as we say goodbye, Penguini, any parting words for our audience? <laughs> I suppose I'm going to win the league. Not this season, not next season, not the following season. I think um, not in your lifetime. I'm sorry to say. Yeah, um, that's all I have to say. Oh, and uh, goodbye, dear listener. Um, uh, thanks for listening. Thank you, thank you. Mongoro, any last words for, for our listeners here as we send them off into the week? Uh, I'd say just continue watching the Premier League and all other leagues, Champions League, uh, Serie A, uh, Liga Nosh, the Portuguese League. Different leagues, man. Just watch other things and watch, I'd say, underrated players that don't get a lot of mention. And I think, look at those players as well. Like, it'll give you some good perspective on something new that you don't know anything about. And all in all, like, just have a great week. Stay blessed as I'm always blessed. And... Enjoy this thing called life. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Mangoro. And listener, we will see you next time. Goodbye.